So how many is ready for the Word? Now, I want to share something with you very quickly. Uh, it's from John chapter 2, and it's a story of Jesus running out of wine. Or, excuse me, actually Mary ran out of some wine. John chapter 2. Uh, just I'm going to pull out a few things in here that I want you to see. John chapter 2, verse number 1. On the third day there was a wedding in the Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Verse number 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples was invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, We have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this concern have to do with me? My hour hath not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you to do, do it. Now there was about six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing about 20 or 30 gallons of a piece. And Jesus said to them, Fill them up to the brim. Verse number 8, And he said to them, Draw some water out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted it, the water that had been turned into wine and did not know where the water had come from, only the servants knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have drank well, you have set out the good wine until now, the best wine until now. Verse 11, And the begin this was the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in the Canaan of Galilee, where he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Just for a few moments tonight, I want to preach on the thought, Help, I'm running out of wine. Everybody shout, help, I'm running out of wine. Everybody say, help, I'm running out of wine. So Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word. Bless us as we look at your word. We won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shout, amen. How many would agree with me that Jesus is not only a savior, but Jesus is also a fixer of things? Come on, how many would agree with me? Jesus is not only a Savior, Jesus is also a fixer of things. Now, do you know that Jesus is a carpenter? In the Scriptures, Jesus is listed as a carpenter. That was one of his, one of his professions. He, he was raised up under his stepfather, Joseph, as a carpenter. And obviously, Jesus learned this trade from his stepfather, Joseph. And it's interesting to me that a carpenter is somebody that makes things or fixes things. And sometimes we view Jesus as just a Savior, but Jesus is not only a Savior, He is also somebody that can fix something that's broke. He can also fix something that's not working. And sometimes I believe that in our relationship with the Lord, we somehow think that, you know, once we get saved, that's all there is to the Lord. But there is so much more to the Lord than salvation. There's many different levels and experiences that you can have with the Lord. And I personally believe that as you progress in your relationship with the Lord, those things that you are struggling with, the Lord has potential to fix them if you allow Him. He is not only a Savior, He is also somebody who can fix things because He is a carpenter. And carpenters are known to fix things. You look throughout the New Testament, you look throughout the Synoptic Gospels, in Mark chapter number 5, Luke chapter 8, Mark chapter 10, John chapter 9, John chapter 8, these are stories where miracles occur. One story is a man who was lame from his, uh, who was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years he was at the pool of Bethesda in the book of John. In the book of Mark, there's a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 long years. 
You see, you read story after story how people were in situations that needed to be fixed. And some of these situations, they were in a very long time. And do you know why I believe these stories are listed in the New Testament? They're listed in the New Testament for our inspiration. To give us a detail about what God wants to do in our life. That it doesn't matter how long things have been broken, if you give it to the Lord, He can fix it. It doesn't matter if it was 38 years or 5 years or 12 years. It doesn't matter the duration of time the Lord can fix whatever is broke. He is not only a Savior, He is a fixer of things that are broke. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've had some things in my life that were broke, and I testify that He can fix a lot of things that are broke. He can fix those things which are broke. Those stories in the New Testament is an inspiration to all of us that He can fix those things which are broke. Now, it's interesting to me that in this story tonight, the context of the story in John chapter 2, there is a wedding that is going on. And the Bible says in verse number 1 that Jesus showed up on the third day. Third day. Now, back in the Jewish culture, the Middle Eastern mindset, the Palestinian mindset, there is this idea that marriage is a week-long festival celebration. So weddings didn't happen like we have today where you go to the church and the preacher prays a prayer and you repeat your vows and uh, you go eat your cake and go on with your business. That's, that's just not the way it was back then. It was a seven-day celebration. Seven days. And during this celebration, this celebratory celebration, Jesus shows up on the third day of seven days of celebration. He shows up on the third day. And when Jesus shows up on the third day, He understands that there is a shortage of wine. Mary is very perplexed. We have no more wine. Help us, Jesus. We're running out of wine. Help us, Lord. Now, I want you to understand something, that Jesus shows up at this wedding, and either this person, whoever is getting married, is either related to Jesus, or is a very close friend of Jesus, or at least Mary, because Mary is there. And Mary, it seems to me, is more perplexed about this problem than anybody else. Theologians teach us that probably Mary is the host at this wedding. Mary is the one that is preparing. Mary is the one that's serving. Jesus' mother is the one that's serving at this wedding, and she is the one that's perplexed that they're running out of wine. So it tells us that Mary is either related to these people or they're very, very close friends. And since Jesus is her son, Jesus shows up with his 12 disciples at this wedding during this celebratory week, seven days of celebration. Jesus shows up on the third day and they're running out of wine. I want to remind you that Jesus always shows up at the last minute. Jesus always shows up at the darkest hour. Jesus always shows up at the bleakest hour. Jesus showed up at the day that the wine ran out. And I want to let you know something, that sometimes when we look at our life and we look at our resources and we look at everything around us and we are praying and we're asking God, when are you going to come through? It usually always happens at the third day. It usually happens at the very bottom of the barrel. It happens at the bleakest hour. Jesus always shows up when you're almost out of wine. Jesus shows up at the darkest hour. He never shows up when you expect Him to. He never shows up sometimes when you pray and hope to He shows up. 
He always shows up at the bleakest hour. He always shows up the day that you run out of wine. How many could testify that there's been times that your barrel has almost been dry, you've almost ran out of resources, and it's at that moment that Jesus shows up. That moment that Jesus shows up. And Jesus showed up to the wedding. And it's interesting to me that Mary goes to Jesus and says to Jesus, Lord, or says to Him, we've, we've ran out of wine. In other words, help us. Now, let me just read what the, the actual Scripture said. It said this. Now, at first glance, it almost sounds like Jesus is being disrespectful. The Bible says, verse number 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Him, We have no more wine. Verse 4, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour hath not yet come. At first glance, it seems like Jesus has an attitude here. Here is His mother, perplexed, Can you imagine? Mary is sweating. She's running around. She's so perplexed, so concerned about people being taken care of. She's being hospitable. She goes to Jesus and she knows that there's something about Jesus that's special. Jesus could help her out. And she goes to Jesus and tells Jesus that we've ran out of wine. And here Jesus says, what does your concern have to do with me? It sounds disrespectful. And I read it again and I found out it probably wasn't disrespectful as we thought it was. Jesus refers to his mother as woman. And woman, in the Greek, actually, it's, it's, it's a, actually a very kind word, which means lady. So Jesus is referring to her as lady, something respectfully. And I thought about it, why is Jesus changing verbiage here? Why didn't he refer to his mother as mom? Mom? What does your concern have to do with me? Why did he have to change his verbiage and say, he was respectful. In the Greek, it's very respectful. Lady, what does your concern have to do with me? I believe, there's many interpretations of this, but I believe that, I believe that the foremost sensible interpretation is this, is that Jesus is starting his public ministry. This is his first miracle. And Jesus is setting a standard right here Jesus is making a distinction between a relationship. You may be my mother, and I respect that. I refer to you. I respect your role in my life. But at this time, I'm going to demonstrate, according to verse number 11, I'm going to demonstrate my deity. I am God. Not only am I God, but I'm also human in flesh. I am the God-man. It could be that Jesus is getting ready to change his role from a carpenter, from Mary's son, From Joseph's son, he's getting ready to change the season of his life unto a rabbi, a teacher, a miracle worker, the son of God. And I've learned one thing, that when God changes seasons of your life, verbiage change. When God moves you into a different season, your verbiage begins to change, your your language begins to change. When God begins to move you into a deeper level, to a different season, your language begins to change. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus' language begins to change because there's a different season. Let me say this. Let me say it loud and clear. If you're going to progress in God and go to the level that God wants you to go, your language has to go too. I'm going to say that again. If you're going to go to a new level in God and progress in your relationship with God, your language is going to have to fit the season that you want to go to. 
I'm going to say that again. If you want to progress in God and go forward in God, your language is going to have to match the season that you're going into. You can't be talking the same way that you were talking in your old season. You've got to change your verbiage so your verbiage will match the position that you're getting ready to go into. So his verbiage began to change. He changed his verbiage here. And, and I like this. This is what I refer to as Mary faith. Mary faith is this. The Bible says, verse number four, he said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour hath not come. Verse number five, this is what I call Mary's type of faith. Verse number five, his mother said to the servants, well, whatever he says for you to do, just do it. In other words, she said, this is not my concern any longer. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she walks away. She walks away from it. And listen, Sometimes when you're believing God, you've got to learn to walk away from some things. You've got to learn to leave it in God's hands and walk away from it. You've got to learn just to walk away from it. Listen, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. Mary had the type of faith to say to the Lord, we've ran out of wine. I know it doesn't look like you're paying attention to anything I'm saying here, but I'm just going to leave it on your lap and I'm going to turn around and walk the other direction because I know that you're capable and more than able to take care of whatever I ask you to do. You've got to learn to walk away from some things. You've got to learn to walk away. Leave it in God's hands and walk away from this thing. And listen, you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this. Listen, my hour hath not yet come. And Mary is like, I'm just going to give this to you and I'm going to walk away. In other words, you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, my scheduled, my appearance to demonstrate my deity is not scheduled yet. It's not my concern yet. But Mary walked away and gave it to the Lord. And because Jesus loved his mother, Jesus changed. He called, he, he called something in early. It wasn't time yet. But because Jesus loved his mother, he did it early. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is saying this, this, this wedding really is none of my concern, but you are my concern, and I love you, and because I love you, I'll do what, I, what you've asked me to do. And there are some things in your life that really isn't that big of a deal, but because the Lord loves you, He grants those petitions that we've asked of Him. This wedding wasn't a big deal to him. It wasn't his concern. It wasn't his time yet. But Jesus changed the schedule. He moved up his events. He moved up his divinity just because he loved Mary. And sometimes that's what you've got to do. Sometimes that's what you've got to do. It reminds me of the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the Bible says King Hezekiah prayed. To the, he turned his face to the wall. He began to pray. And he said, Lord, if I die, the grave cannot praise you. And the Bible says the prophet was leaving. And the Lord spoke to the prophet, I think it was Nathan. And he went back into King Hezekiah and said, the Lord said unto you, you're going to have 15 more years added to his life. In other words, he was scheduled to die. Because the prophet, Nathan, said to him, you're going to die. You better get your house in order. But King Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, turned his face to the wall and said, Lord, what does the grave, the grave can't praise you. And the Bible says the Lord spoke to the prophet again and the prophet went back in and said, listen, the Lord's going to add 15 more years to your life. In other words, God changed the course of events 
moved things up early and said, I'm going to go ahead and give you 15 more years. It's the same thing with this story. It was none of his concern that they ran out of wine. He didn't care about it. His time was not yet needed to be revealed, but the Lord changed his events because of divine love, because he loved his mother, and because he loved his mother, he did it anyway. Listen, God loves us to the point that sometimes he grants things that he knows sometimes is none of his concern. It really is not a big deal, but he loves us anyway, and he grants us. And the question is this, why did they run out of wine? Why did they run out of wine? Any person who is preparing for a wedding is usually prepared, I would think. So the question is, is why did they run out of wine? Now, I know, you know, and I want to say this, that wine is a metaphor in Scripture for joy. Uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So wine is a metaphor for joy. And so if you look at this story, let's just, let's just, uh, let's use some typology here. They ran out of wine. And so why did they run out of wine? And why do we run out of joy? Why is Christianity a joyless religion? Why, you know, Christians don't blow out, they leak out. So you don't lose it overnight. You don't, you don't backslide overnight. Backsliding is a process. You don't just get up one morning and say, I don't love God, I'm not going to church. You know, it's just a, it's a gradual process. Christians don't blow out, Christians leak out. So why did they run out of wine? Three options of why I believe they could have ran out of wine. Number one, they could have ran out of wine because of uninvited guests. Uninvited guests. You know, maybe uninvited people showed up to the wedding party or the wedding that day that wasn't invited. Listen, when you don't invite somebody to a wedding, when you don't invite somebody to your home, you don't invite somebody to an event, you're simply saying that I don't want your presence there. That's what you're saying. Now, we can do it a nice way, but that's what we're saying. I do not want your presence in this particular location with me when we don't invite people, uninvited guests. And so when you send out wedding invitations, you invite people who you want at your wedding, the people that's closest to you, people that you love, family, friends, whoever, you want them, you are requesting their presence. So maybe they ran out of wine because of uninvited guests. Maybe people showed up to the wedding that wasn't invited to the wedding. Maybe there were some wedding crashers that day that came and drank all the wine and was having a great time. Uninvited guest. Have you ever thought about it? What are some uninvited guests that you invite in your house? What are some uninvited people that you hang out with that steal your joy? What is some uninvited things that you have allowed in your home, the things that you watch, the conversations that you have, the things that we look at on the internet. Is there uninvited things that we have allowed in our life to cause us to steal the joy? And maybe they ran out of wine because of uninvited guests, people who came to the wedding and drank all of their wine and they wasn't really invited to the wedding, but they sure came and had a great time. Uninvited guests. What do you have in your life that's uninvited? What do you have in your life that you don't want its presence or their presence? You've got to learn one thing. You've got to cut some things off. You've got to stop some things at the door and say, you're not invited into my home. Stop at the door. You're uninvited. 
uninvited guests. Number two, what about unexpected guests? Now, you say, well, pastor, isn't it an uninvited guest different from an unexpected guest? What's the difference? Well, how many knows that um, people can show up unexpectedly, but there's people that there are people in your life that you love, you enjoy their presence, but you didn't anticipate their arrival, but since they did come, it was okay with you. All right, five people. I'm going to say that again. How many people would agree with me that there is unexpected people that might show up that you didn't anticipate, but you don't mind because you love them? That's unexpected guests. Not only is there uninvited guests, but unexpected guests. Do you know that bad stress can come from good things? Your wife comes home one day and says to you, baby, I have something unexpected to tell you. I'm pregnant. Now, of course, that wouldn't happen to me, but maybe that could happen to you. So let me, ask, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Is that unexpected? Is it a good stress? Come on, folks, talk to me. Quit acting like you're dead. Come on, talk to me. I said, is it good stress? Uh, Carol is shaking her head, no, it's not good stress at all. It's bad stress. So my point is this. Good things can take our joy. Good things can take our joy. Things that's good, a baby's good. But when you're having a baby at, you know, and you already have several, you know, and you wasn't anticipating it, and it just showed up because you drank some water someday, you know, and good things can take your joy. Everybody shout that with me. Good things can take your joy. So, is there some good things in your life that's Suck in your joy. Is there good things in your life that you're like, maybe I need to cut away because it's taking my joy? Good things sometimes can take your joy. Uninvited things that you haven't invited in your life can take your joy. And in closing, what about, y'all going to laugh about this, why did the wine run out? Well, maybe there was inconsiderate guests. Maybe they were just inconsiderate. Maybe they were just there, they were invited, but they just kept going back, getting one cup of wine right after another cup of wine and another cup of wine, and you're like, dude, do you see that there's 300 people here? we got to make sure everybody's fed and everybody has to have some wine. How many's ever been to a party and the same person was eating all the finger foods? Come on, somebody. And you're like, dude, wake up. They were inconsiderate. They eat one beanie weenie right after another beanie weenie. And another beanie weenie. And another beanie weenie. And you know you only cook six beanie weenies. And that's when you get out the, the potted meat. And the spam. And then you serve the spam and the potted meat. Can I hear an amen? You're the man no longer using spam out of the ordinary can. Amen. So, inconsiderate guests, inconsiderate guests, 
going to get one cup of wine right after another cup of wine. And so therefore, they ran out of wine because things were inconsiderate. Do you know that there's people in your life that will be inconsiderate? I'm going to read this scripture to you in John 11. And I want you to see John 11 verse 5. Look at this scripture. Look at verse 5. Now, get this. This is so powerful. How many has read the story of Lazarus? Lazarus died. Jesus was laid how many days? How many? Four. Everybody say four. I think you all need to take a Bible class, all right? Everybody say four. He was late four days. And the Bible says in verse number five, now Mary and Martha was perplexed, right? You should have been here for my brother. All right, so everybody say this as loud as you can say it. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, was very perplexed. Why? Because Jesus was late. How many days? Now, would you agree with me that Mary and Martha probably thought Jesus was inconsiderate? If you believe that Mary and Martha probably thought Jesus was inconsiderate for being late four days, when Jesus could have been here the first day and prayed for him and prevented him from dying, raise your hand right now if you probably think that Mary and Martha probably thought Jesus was inconsiderate. Everybody, everybody agree with that? So, this is what I want you to see. Verse number 5, Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Verse 7, Now, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, get this. Verse 8. I want all of us to read verse 8 on the count of three. It should be behind me. Are you ready? Everybody, Read verse number 8 as loud as you can read it. Ready? One, two, three. Stop. Would you agree with me that Mary and Martha thought Jesus was inconsiderate because Jesus showed up late? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it high. Put it down. Do you realize that Mary and Martha wasn't considerate either? Because it took Jesus four days to get to him because in Judea they was trying to stone him. So Mary and Martha thinks Jesus is inconsiderate. He should have been here the very first day, prayed for my brother, so my brother would have not died. But they failed to realize verse number 8 that the reason that Jesus could have been late was because Judea, they was trying to stone him. And they were not even considerate of what Jesus had to go through to get to him on the fourth day. And the people we think are inconsiderate, sometimes we need to stop and think, maybe we don't know what they had to go through to get what they got. Maybe... We need to have a different perception about consideration. They should have stopped and thought, maybe he's late 
because he had to go through Judea. And the disciples was like, did you have to go through there because they sought to kill you the last time? Before we point our finger and say everybody's inconsiderate, let us point the finger back and say, maybe I don't know what they had to go through to get where they got, get to get where they, they are. Can I hear an amen? Because when we're faced with a problem, it's very easy for us to think everybody's inconsiderate if they do not arrive when we think they need to arrive and help us when we think we need to be helped. We need to look at it from a different perspective. So what can we learn from this story? Well, we can learn from this story Jesus changed his verbiage when the season of his life changed. It's very important that your verbiage changes when you move from one season to another in your life. You cannot be living in the promised land and talk like you're still in Egypt. You've got to change your language. Number one, you see that there are situations that will take our joy, take our wine. We learn that there could be uninvited guests, unexpected guests, and inconsiderate guests. And we've got to take inventory of our life. What good thing in my life? Is there anything good in my life that's taken my joy? Because good things could add stress, and stress can take the joy. Is there any uninvited things that I've allowed in my life that's not invited, but I have allowed it because I've let my standards down? Have I let people steal my joy because I think that they're not considerate of me? Maybe I need to change my perception and realize that there are people that have to go through some things, and I've got to be considerate of what people have to go through to get to where I need them to be. I need to have a spirit of consideration. Amen. Did you learn something from the Word tonight? 